there's just something sweet about congregational worship. There's it's a powerful thing when the people of God agree on the truths of God together. And the the togetherness of congregational worship was just so missed and um, I think our people really noticed how much they missed it the day that we were all back together. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio. Hosts James Curtis talk to artists and industry insiders to discover the connection between music and faith. You can connect with the show at faithstrongtoday.com slash between the grooves or via Twitter at between grooves. James Curtis here. Welcome to Between the Grooves, your look at music, ministry, and everything in between with today's top Christian artists. This is episode 211. Can you believe that? This week, featuring a great conversation with Brett Perkins. He's the worship leader at Journey Church in Tennessee, and uh, lots to talk about here. Let me tell you, overcoming obstacles, leading through change, building a team, building a culture, specifically leading with truth, the recording process, going on the road with your music, surrounding yourself with people who are more talented than you. Get ready to jot down some notes. And after that, we're going to get some practical advice from Juno-nominated artist, singer, songwriter, and producer from Victoria, British Columbia, Fraser Campbell. That's coming up in just a bit. But first, let's get to that conversation with Brett Perkins from Journey Worship. I saw the part that mentioned you had keys to the church uh, when you were younger. And it reminded me when I was a teen, I had keys to the church. I was a youth leader. I was in charge of the sound department. Those keys come in handy, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting uh, growing up, just like basically grew up in the church. And um, whenever I got bored, it was weird, like growing up in a small town, uh, there wasn't a lot to do. You played sports, you hunted, you fished and all this stuff. And so I would just, I'd grab keys from my mom and go up to the church. Yeah. <laughs> hang nothing, out. Nothing wrong with that. I was, I was there often just by myself doing, you know, work, uh, you yeah. know, church related work, probably, probably not very good for my social life and, uh, and probably not good with my priorities. Cause I basically went to work all day and then and then drove straight to the church and spent my evenings you know at, you know after work spent the rest of my day there and then right. and then went home to sleep and sometimes i was the only guy there just doing work yeah. whether it was for the youth group or whatever else and and you know i don't recommend that for anybody really it, it uh you need to kind of reevaluate your priorities if you're <laughs> doing that too much and i was doing it too much so but right. uh, but you know it's great to get some alone time and and uh, get that time. And you were, I guess, you were just kind of strumming on the guitar, just you know, worshiping, weren't you? Yeah, I uh, I'd go up there and I would actually lead in front of my empty auditorium at the time. I say my like I was a kid. I was fifteen, sixteen. Right. But I'd go up there, and I the biggest that I could ever dream was really a full auditorium that seated sub 200 people there i mean it was just a tiny town but i just thought it was a it was a powerful thought to be leading that many people in worship you know i always thought that it it added value to people because you're you're leading them to worship the god of the universe and i didn't know the god of the universe as much as i do now and i won't i don't now as much as i will in the future but at the time i just thought man i want to give my life to 
pointing people to Jesus. And at the time, the biggest dream I had was leading a full auditorium at Bethel Baptist Church in Greenfield, Tennessee, <laughs> a home of 2,300 people, four square miles, red light and a sonic. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good experience for any uh worship leader in the beginning years anyways to to kind of get used to that feeling too yeah you know because uh, i mean one of the things that drives me nuts uh when i hear a worship leader say something like oh i i just played a show in whatever it's like play a show like i don't like that terminology Uh, you know you're leading worship but but to get used to the fact that you're going to be in a big auditorium or church or stadium or whatever else getting used to that so that you're you're not as nervous when you do get in front of a larger group of people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really dislike the uh, wording of show for church. I feel like there's, there's too much entertainment. Uh, there's enough entertainment around us to keep people busy, and the last, the last place that people need vying for their attention is a church. I right. think that you need, to, you need to serve your people and point them to Jesus and... Um, so I do, I, I similarly dislike that uh, language, but it is good to um, practice like you're going to actually lead. And uh, one of the ways to do that is just that I found at the time was just to lead an empty auditorium. And it's also made, it's made it special later on to be leading, you know, like God's shaped dreams and he has um, opened up opportunities in front of different congregations. That's like, man, I I really do appreciate those uh, humble beginnings and even like innocent dreams, I guess, in Greenfield because it was a small town and I didn't know what else was out there and, until I guess college and started to travel a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it was it was it's a it's a fun thing to to think back on. <laughs> Do you find that the church in general is? How do I word this? You know how you always want excellence. You want to raise the bar. You want to raise the ceiling. Um, you always want to do better. And what we're seeing on social media a lot is when the big organizations like Hillsong or Elevation or whoever is putting out these videos that are just fantastic. And, and don't get me wrong, they're great worship times, uh, or maybe it's just a song, but the presentation is so excellent so top-notch with the different camera angles the smoke the lights and everything else do you think maybe that's what smaller churches are trying to mimic um i really i don't know i mean my dad is a he's still a worship leader at a smaller church the same church that i grew up in and i don't think that that's his vision for for what they're doing like i don't know that um I don't know that that serves them well, honestly. Like I think, I think there are a lot of churches that are trying to keep up with other churches, and they're doing their people a disservice by doing so because they're trying to do more than what they can do uh, with like limited resources, and so then it becomes a knockoff version of what someone else is doing, as opposed to just serving their people with what they have. And so I don't know. I mean, it'd be it'd be a hard thing to say that all small churches are trying to do that. I do think that there are some uh, really intentional small churches that are really just trying to serve their people with good content. I also think at the same time, there are some other small churches that have big dreams and they might be giving themselves to 
a seeker sensitive approach to serving people and they might then lend themselves to doing things that are more so creative not to say that churches that aren't seeker sensitive can't be creative i'm just saying i think there's an overemphasis in a lot of churches generally big and small to be really really creative and I think some small churches do it and some small churches don't. I don't know if that really answers your question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not to point the finger at small churches and say they all do this, but I think some do where they're, they're trying to, uh, and there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to be good and, and trying to be excellent and, and, you know, especially in a seeker-sensitive environment where you want to be coming out with top-notch, uh, videos or posts or whatever else because the world has got you know the world being you know in quotes has got so much good stuff out there that attracts people yeah. and if that's what it takes that's what it takes right yeah I understand I guess I understand how people get to the place of wanting to do that what I would speak pretty quickly to though and I'm I'm convicted by this and our church is convicted by this the world has a lot of excellence, but the world, what the world needs isn't a church that's excellent in its uh, packaging. Uh, the world needs a church that presents the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, that's why, that's kind of where I was getting to, and this might, this might lead us into a whole nother discussion, but I think too often churches generally will sacrifice content and sacrifice the message of the gospel at the altar of creativity in hopes of getting people in their doors. But then when they get people in their doors, they're just offering a safe alternative to what the world offers and they're not really offering a clear picture of Jesus. They're just offering this uh, new environment where it's safe. Right. And I think, I think churches have to reshape their thinking to believing that the gospel really is enough that doesn't mean that doesn't mean don't be creative that doesn't mean don't pursue excellence but i think a way that we look at excellence within our walls is distraction free like how can we package a clear picture of the gospel in a distraction free environment and i do believe that it's beautiful but i believe it's beautiful ultimately because the gospel is beautiful i guess it's been an interesting a uh, year and a half um, with churches. I know uh, most churches have been forced to uh, be online for a very lengthy amount of time, uh, and it's meant a shift in the way things are done. Can you tell us, to start, I guess, you've got a ministry in your church. It's it's called Journey Worship. I, I take it it's a ministry of the church itself, which is basically your worship team and, and worship leaders, songwriters, musicians, and whatnot. Yes. Um, how how has things changed for you in the last year and a half? Yeah, so for us, like we're right outside of Nashville, and about 10 days before COVID shut everything down, we had a huge tornado rip through our community. And so we kind of had a double whammy of sorts. The, the tornado actually shut down our second campus. And so I got to give you some backstory to that. We, we had built our worship team to where it could service two campuses. And 
when the tornado came through, it took away that one campus, leaving us with an army of a worship team and half the opportunities to uh, to give creatives opportunity to serve within the church. And so we had that going against us, and then COVID came and shut everything down. And that's what really started making me think, okay, as a worship pastor, a lot of our worship team is they're either touring, traveling musicians, or they're in the service industry. And those are the two things that COVID really hit hard, the entertainment industry and the service industry. Mm -hmm. Because people, you know, they shut down restaurants and all that stuff. So I'm thinking, man, okay, well, my team has taken a pretty large hit. Most of them have lost their jobs. Uh, what is something that we could do to maybe give opportunities uh, for them to at least practice a craft and give value to what they're doing? At the same time, I'd been at this church for five years, and uh, at that point, I had been leading on my own just outside of the church for about 10 with my own band. But I've, I'd been wanting, ever since I came to this church, to merge what I was doing on the road with what I was doing in the church because I thought it was really unique and... um. I just thought it served the church better to merge the two. And so when the road was shut down, church was shut down, all the things, that's when we really started thinking through, okay, what does it look like to merge everything and start pursuing this this journey together? And so Journey Worship Co. really birthed out of a lot of unfortunate things that happened, but it created this innovative mindset of, all right, we're going to rework what we're doing. We're going to reorient ourselves around like what's what's the need right now. And the need at the time and still today with it, that arose was we want to fight for truth for our people, period. We don't know how, how far the Lord's going to carry the message that we're uh, producing, but our responsibility is the Journey Church at Lebanon in Lebanon, Tennessee, And we want to clearly present truths to our people to respond to. And um, so we did. We started writing together, and that's what really birthed Journey Worship Co. And how did that change then with COVID? Because obviously you would have been doing things online versus, like you said, you had twice the personnel, and and now you trying to keep people active and and focused and together. (laughs) But it's difficult to keep people together when you're separated. I know that was that was a, an, an interesting time, and so like the rest of your question, what do we do for COVID? We the vision of Journey Worship Co. really like we dove into what it could look like in March, and it didn't really develop into becoming something until like September. But our church actually we we were off for like three months, but we actually started meeting back together in June. So we have a very different story. Uh, as a church than a lot of churches. We actually started meeting pretty early. Um, so I was able to cast some vision among people uh, more so quickly than other contexts. But for our our service and our context, we, for three months, uh, the pastor and I, we just, we co-led a service that was broken down and it was just me on acoustic leading a few songs and then uh, Pastor Eric would preach a message. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, my brother's a pastor, and uh, he pastors in a community where a lot of people um, 
travel uh, sometimes quite a distance to get to church. There's not a they're just the type of community. It's it's um it's a commuter type uh, community where people are are always traveling a, a distance to get to work or for church or whatever else. And because of that, they were already starting to prepare for online. I'll say stuff. You know, uh, I'm thinking yeah. of of um, devotional times or or groups getting together, but all online. So they were kind of already preparing for that. And then COVID hit, and so it was just they just kept going, right? And yeah. my brother started doing um, daily get-togethers online, I think on Facebook or whatever. He did that for several months. Um, and then they just continued with with what they were doing. And now they're able to meet in person again, but there's still restrictions and, and whatnot. Um, but it's, you know, finding a way to adapt as quickly as possible with whatever life throws at you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And Oh, yeah. And I admire... Any organization, whether it be a church or a business or whatever, even a, even an individual who's able to adapt very quickly and and still make things happen. I still had to go to work every day. Um, I was the only guy at the radio yeah. station, but I still had to go to work every day. Right. The rest of the staff were working from home, which, you know, there's, there's uh, issues right there where, you know, they're getting used to a new way of doing their job. And then have to do it all over again a year and a half later when things start to settle down they're allowed to come back into the office again now it's adapting and it's like oh this is totally different from what it was a year and a half ago or or trying to remember what happened a year and a half ago so there's always things changing always things making you adapt and and uh, shift in what you're doing so um for you you started as you mentioned just you leading on acoustic um when did when were you allowed to start bringing other people in, and how did you do that in a way that gave everybody an opportunity, especially given the fact that you had all these resources um, available to you? Yeah, so we once we started back in June, we were able to start rotating in our players, and each week we have about ten people that are on stage with us, uh, leading from different instruments or just singers. And we have a team of about 30 people. And so we were able to get on a rotation to get people at least one opportunity a month and sometimes two. But then whenever we started writing as a team, that's when you start expanding the opportunities. So we would have team writing days where people would come up and we would write together. And there were about 18 each day that would come up and write at different times. And then around around the songs we would have these things called green room sessions where uh people would come up and we would we'd record like an acoustic version of the song and that that expanded more opportunities that gave more opportunities for people to get involved um and then there were other opportunities to like do staff and elder uh song preview nights where that also gave another opportunity so we just tried to we tried to capitalize on all the different opportunities that we could foresee and get everybody involved to create and to practice the the muscle of uh, collaboration with one another. Was this online or in person or both? Well, once we once we opened up the doors, we did it all in person for everyone who was comfortable coming up and doing it. Um, we just we kind of gave them the same option uh, for themselves as they like. Basically, what we told our people was, if you feel comfortable 
coming up here, then you're welcome to come up here. If you don't, then that's totally fine. Like you make your decision mm-hmm. and you take your risk. Uh, I mean, we, we were doing other things to like make sure everything was sanitary and clean and uh, as best as we could. Um, but we really left it up to them to come up and, uh, and create on their own time. And when it came to in-person services once again, what was it like for the congregation? Because, again, this is they've been out of the loop for a few months. They've been watching online. Now they're able to, at their discretion, attend. So obviously you've got probably reduced numbers. And when you do have those reduced numbers, you've got all, you know everything from the social distancing to wearing masks. I mean, you might not even be able to tell who's singing, for that matter. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So again, it, we had a really unique scenario. Um, so one, we were com- we were moving buildings during COVID. So our very last service was kind of abrupt in our last building, but we were also in the middle of a contract uh, being negotiated and switched over to this new building that we had bought from another church in town. So when we when we gathered together for the first time, it was not only three months of not being together, but it was also uh, the very first service in our brand new building. And so there was actually a lot of excitement around the gathering because people had missed being around each other and it was in a new space that we were all really excited about. Um. So yeah, there was a little bit of a dip, but there was still, I mean, we we actually still had a very fair amount of people that showed up. And as far as like numbers from the year before and year to date, there really wasn't a ton of difference, Um, maybe a couple hundred people. Um, And again, like with the mask mandate had been lifted in terms of like requirements. And so we just, we said, look, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, then that's up to you. Uh, we would provide social distancing in the balcony for those who, uh, who want that too. But, but in Tennessee, it was, it was, uh, pretty much like if you are comfortable with it in the houses of worship, then do what you are comfortable with right and so we left it up to the people and uh, and that's kind of the response that we had it was it was actually pretty bizarre of a response you know I, I admire uh, any church or any organization that uses things beyond their control to do things that they either were planning to do or uh, that they're forced to do and and what I'm talking about now is is the fact that you literally switched buildings yeah in the downtime like to be able to use that and i I use downtime in quotes because obviously there's lots of other stuff going on and and trying to you know keep in touch with the congregation and and do things and meet the needs of the congregation but but to be able to move into a new building and and i mean that's a huge project with or without covid right Oh yeah, I mean it was it was difficult especially like we we were really compliant with what the government was issuing and so like once things hit we had to shut down renovations in the new building cuz I mean it was a complete overhaul in what we had to do and it was actually an amazing testament to our people because we used a significant volunteer force to over overtake the I, I, overtake sounds very conquering and battle like but I mean <laughs> 
to uh, to renovate this building into what would be us. But we we were planning on being in it April fifth, but things shut down in in March, and so. Uh, and then whenever we could get in the building, we had the restrictions of 10 people in the building. Right. And so only 10 people could work at a time. And so, I mean, it was just, it was a long, long process. And, um, and then just as they started lifting from 10 people to 50 people, and then from 50 on, we, we then started getting more people to come in and do some working and some we had to tear down walls. We had to do a bunch of demolition and then we had to do some rebuilding all within the walls of the church. And so, I mean, it was a process, but I mean, it just showed the endurance of our people to come up here. We had a lady who was working through all the logistics of scheduling people and uh, making sure that there was only 10 people at a time during that season. And then only 50 people at a time during that season. I mean, it was a Dude, it was a puzzle. It was a Tetris game every hour. It seemed, uh, <laughs> yeah. In the process of opening up the the church, all the all the while, trying to care for our people, we renovated how we we did care, and um, and then we, as we started getting people primed to come and meet together, uh, we started using our groups approach uh, to get more people together. Uh, in the meantime, so what I mean by that is instead of just encouraging families to worship together uh, just as their own singular unit, we would encourage group, small groups to get together in a home um, that was like under 50 to worship together. And I'll never forget the first time that we hosted a small group in my home for the first time after like two months. And there was probably 16 people in there, but it was the sweetest time of just singing with people again. Um, because up until that point, I'd, I'd literally been singing to a camera, yeah, <laughs> uh, just video and not really having that interaction. Um, knowing that the truths that were being sung were enough on their own, but there's just something sweet about congregational worship. There's, it's a powerful thing when the people of God agree on the truths of God together and the, the togetherness of congregational worship was just so missed and, um, I think our people really noticed how much they missed it the day that we were all back together. I mean, it was a pretty emotional and surreal day for us. At the risk of, of sounding religious, um, there's also the fellowship side of things. The fact that people are able to see others and, and you know look them in the eyes versus over a, over a camera or online or whatever, to be able to see them face to face and um, and you know see their facial expressions. Uh, yeah. have conversations that aren't delayed because you're online or whatever else uh, that says a lot right there as well you know yeah I don't I don't mind taking that risk at all I don't I don't see it as one I, I think that the local church is the hope of the world when Jesus is the center of it and the church was created to be together and um, again it is a powerful thing when the people of God agree on the truths of God, the things of God together. And I say it that way because together is an important component of church. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people try to reconstruct what church looks like and um, give their own opinions around it. But I mean, it was a gathering of the saints uh, to be equipped and empowered to do the work of the ministry. And mm. 
So I, I think that there's reason for the emotions of believers getting back together because it's what well, I mean, we're created to worship and we're, and we're created for community. So, yeah, I mean, just it, it's not a unique experience just for us. I think any church that um, went through it, which was every church, uh, when they got back together, it was just an emotional day to be back together with the people of God. Let's talk a little bit about uh, journey worship specifically. So this is uh, the worship umbrella or the, the uh, worship team under the umbrella of the Journey Church, where you are in Tennessee. Um, and it's basically worship leaders, songwriters, musicians. So what does it entail? You said originally that this was kind of emerging with your personal ministry and your you know stuff going on the road and, and uh, leading worship and stuff. So now it's kind of... Uh, they're your worship band, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, personally, except yeah. it's not just you now; it's everybody, right? Yeah, it's everybody. I I felt like um, if it points back to the church, then it's a good thing. And I wanted what I was doing to point back to the church. And I was just going around as Brett Perkins, which is a very original, God given name. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I just I wanted to highlight what's going on here and i think what's what's going on here is special and god has built an incredible team around us around um i don't even want to say me like i feel like i'm just a part of it as well whenever we were lining up to not lining up but whenever we were rehearsing for the live recording night i looked around stage and i saw there was 11 people on stage and there were 10 different states represented and I just thought, oh my goodness, this is, it was as if the Lord just clearly spoke uh, in that moment, not audibly, but I just sensed that he was saying, you did not build this team. I did. Mm -hmm. I brought him here. And in fact, I brought you here too. You're not from Lebanon. You're from Greenfield, Tennessee, West Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just a really hum uh, humbling thing to see. Um and I think that it it's edifying to the body. I think variety is good. And so you just, um, I grew up around sports uh, through uh, high school and then even into college. And I just always valued a team. I always valued the different um, skills of different people, whether it's someone who pitches well or someone who fields well and using baseball terms or football terms, someone who passes the ball well or catches well. Like there's always different different skills that um, serve different purposes. And then so even into leading worship, you've got the different instrumentalists, but then you also have your different singers who, who carry the song differently and uh, different stories that may connect differently to different songs. And I just think that there's power in uh, stories. There's power in... Uh, redeemed lives coming together around one mission that is bigger than any one individual. And that's just what came from it. And I'm so grateful for this team. I'm so grateful for how collaborative they are. There's no competition. There's just championing of one another and um, rallying around the truths of scripture and writing together for the sole purpose of serving our people. I mean, that's just the heart of it. We want to remain biblically integrous in all we do we want meaning we want to uphold our integrity to the scriptures and we want to have steadfast creativity so we want to we want to be creative but we don't want to sacrifice content at the altar of creativity we want it to be clear truths that are beautiful just because the gospel is beautiful 
you obviously uh, have a team of writers that get together and and write music, and obviously mm-hmm. you've recorded music. Do you guys ever do you guys ever go on the road? We do. So that was the biggest thing. When I say merge, I I didn't necessarily mean merge like Brett Perkins and Journey Church. What I meant was I had a lot of opportunities on the road that I wanted to uh, give away to the church. Like I want I wanted to bring it under the church umbrella. And so we actually partner with uh, Lifeway, which is based out of Nashville. And they have a couple camps, Student Life and Fuge Camps. And they're predominantly student camps that we do. And then there's another organization that we've started to serve with that I'm really excited about is um, Generate Camps. It's YM360 down in Birmingham. So yeah, this past this past year we were on the road for seven weeks total. Um, one of those weeks was training fuge leader, fuge camp worship leaders that were sent across the country to lead at different uh, camps. And so yeah, we uh, we we do that, and then we also have some stuff that's lined up for uh, the fall and spring. But then also into the summer, we've got we have eight weeks already lined up for next summer, which we're wow. really excited about. Yeah. yeah. That it's is exciting. Tour. And that's and that's exciting for the people that are involved in journey worship as well because it gives them the opportunity to use their creativity and grow beyond the walls of the journey church, your local church, right? Yeah, man, it's been so awesome to watch how some of these opportunities outside of the church has shaped some of our team. I'm going to name some names and if they listen to this, they'll uh, they'll either be okay with it or not. I don't know. But um, a girl, Ashley, Ashley Briggs, we call her Ashley. Ashley Briggs is her name. Her real last name now is Horvath because she got married a year ago. But um, she came into town as a country artist and she got involved in our church and started singing. And it has been one of the most joyful things for me to see how she has developed into just an incredible worship leader. She gets it. Like she, she's not just up there performing. She's literally, she's leading people to the throne of Jesus. And I think some opportunities within the church has been really helpful, but also to see that the gospel works outside of the church too, just as much because the gospel is truth and people respond to truth because, uh, because it's truth. And, um, it's just been cool to see how she's developed over the the past couple years, and then um, Braden Benz, who also is uh, he leads for our students actually here, and he also he's got a huge role on Sunday mornings, leading alongside us. He plays everything well. We, there's kind of this joke: he doesn't do anything bad. Everything he does is excellent and crazy. So if he wasn't on our team, I don't know that I would like him that much, but. Uh, <laughs> But we love him because he is on our team and he can sing his face off. But even beyond that, there's just been a confidence about him that uh, has grown, particularly over the summer. Um, and I think it's just confidence more so in the word. There's a, there's a growth overall. That's what I'll say. There's been a growth of dependence on the Lord that has been evident on the team. And I think that's what's making us generally effective right now. Like I, the thing that I've encouraged them with or tried to encourage them with is there's so many churches that have more resources than we do. There's so many bands that might be better than us or even better looking or, you know, whatever it might be. May have a better marketing team. I don't know. But what, what would it look like if we were the most dependent team on the Lord? Mm-hmm. What would that look like? How would that change 
um, the moments that we're leading people. If we're dependent on the Lord, that means that we're trusting that his word is enough. And if worship is a response to truth, it's our responsibility then to believe the truth for what it is and then present it as truth so that people will respond in true worship. And um, so it's been so, it's been awesome. Like the road has been great. It's been unifying for our team, especially for the ones that were able to come out. We were able to bring about 12 different people over the past year out on the road. And that's out of the 30 something that uh, is on the team. And that's for various reasons. Like some of them are on their own tours with different artists, whether it's CCM or country, um, or just, you know, availability with other jobs that they're doing. Um, but it, it takes a, it definitely takes a village to, to serve it all. I mean, we've got, we've got a guy who, uh, he cuts hair in town, Blackbeard Barbershop in Lebanon. And, uh, he's like the stand in, uh, worship leader whenever we're on the road. And that's his, that's his job. That's his role. He also leads for our recovery and redemption on Sunday nights. But I mean, if, if he's not here leading, then we can't be out on the road leading and we, we wouldn't be able to have the reach that we have. And so there's just, it's not overvaluing one over the other. It's really like we want to protect home because we believe that if you don't win at home, you don't win anywhere. And we've got to take care of the home front. And then um, that really enables us the opportunity to go out on the road. But then at the same time, being out on the road has been really uh, sharpening to some of our other leaders like Ashley and Brayden to serve our people even better uh, with more confidence and with more experience. So it's been awesome. The Christian community, um, specifically the music part of the Christian community, is very different from other music industries in that you're dealing with volunteers. You got everybody, you know, like you mentioned, the barber. He, that's his full time job. That's that's his gig, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he's leading worship. I'll say in quotes on the side, um, although you know you can't really call ministry on the side. But but you know his his livelihood is is at the barber shop, cutting hair. Mm-hmm. You know, doing the makeovers for people and stuff. Um, and I'm sure, uh, as in any church, you've got mostly volunteers as part of your team. Um, what's that like dealing with volunteers and the fact that they have full-time jobs elsewhere? Uh, luckily, I guess some of them are in the music industry, but they're still volunteering in church. What's that like dealing with? Because it's, it's, you can't fire a volunteer. Well, you, you can, I suppose, but you know, volunteers work for free. Um, and so you have to handle things sometimes with kid gloves if you need to move them or shift them into another area. What's that like? Are you the guy that kind of manages all that? Yeah, so um, managing it is, uh, it was more difficult early on than it is now. It's a completely different team right now. I mean, it, I'm trying to figure out how to how to navigate this. So when I got here, it was a, it was a very different team and it was, it was actually really difficult um, because the culture... I think your culture is what establishes everything. And the culture that was here was a culture that I hadn't influenced at all. I was just kind of observing and being um, absorbed by. (laughs) And so I had to figure out what kind of culture was here at first. And then over time, being able to create the culture and help speak into the culture 
um, that has helped really shape expectations from people. And so, um, in terms of like firing a volunteer, there's really just, I haven't had to have that happen in the past, you know, couple years. Now, I will say early on, there were some really difficult conversations that I had to have that really was just like, here's vision for where we're going. This is the expectation that I have and that I'm embodying. Like this is, these are convictions that I have. And if we can't get behind this, then we'll have to find a different place in the church for you to serve. Now, those were extreme cases because a lot of it was more character related than it was competence. Right. Um, because like we have, we actually have a lot of opportunities within the church from kids ministry to students to uh, recover and redemption that are necessary ministries. And they're a little bit more forgiving too on uh, getting people some reps to get them ready for Sunday. Now that's not the reason why all these, why all people serve in different ministries because uh, the barber that I was just telling you about leads recovery and redemption. And he's great. He's a Sunday morning guy. Braden, he leads for students. He's great. He's a Sunday morning guy. Um, so we, we don't, we don't sacrifice excellence in other areas, but we do give opportunities in other areas before we put them up on Sunday. Now, I will say, for complete transparency, we do not all our volunteers necessarily in the sense of like there is a small stipend. Now, it's not not anything that they're going to like quit their jobs over or, you know, it's like gas money essentially right. or a meal or something. But um, but yeah, for complete transparency, we, we do offer some stipend for uh, for some for players uh, each weekend. What about training? Uh, dealing with volunteers, everybody's at a different skill level. Um, do you have a formal training process in place, um, especially with a newbie coming into the church and they want to serve and they want to, um, you know, be involved? Uh, what do you do? Like, what's the process there? Yeah, well, we—that's where we'll use the other ministry areas uh, as a as a good training ground, and I don't mean it as a training ground in the sense of devaluing the ministries what we do is it just gives it gives opportunity for confidence to boost um and gives them opportunities to be around other really good musicians and i i mean for me just as a musician i've grown the most by playing with better musicians myself Mm -hmm. and so giving them opportunities to be with other musicians who are really good um i mean for instance this guy who played cajon last night at uh, recovering redemption has a music degree from Berkeley. I mean, like he's amazing and, uh, he's a drummer. And so like being around a guy like him can really sharpen you as a, as a musician. And so really it's a, it's a put them in there and get them some reps. Now, if someone's like not crazy far down the line of a beginner, then we, the same guy, this uh, this guy from Berkeley that I'm thinking about, his name's John, he actually gives drum lessons. We have some electric guitarists who give electric guitar lessons. We have some keys players who will give keys lessons. So, you know, we're, we're not going to... Because we value excellence from the sense of being not distracting, then we're not going to put some up, someone up there who's going to be distracting. Like, that's kind of a base level 
because we don't want them to be set up for failure either. Like I think some of my, my responsibility is to set up people to succeed. And so in, in them coming to me and asking if I can give them an opportunity, then there's a, there's a little bit of trust that they have to have that I'm not going to give them an opportunity for them to then fail and to lead our people poorly. And so, but in addition to that, like on top of that, I've, I have to be able to point them to someone that can help sharpen them or talk with them about other opportunities within the church to get plugged in. I like what you said about being with musicians or, or people that are better than you. And, and isn't that the way to go? Like you should be the dumbest guy in the room. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, that's the only way you're going to learn. That's the only way you're going to get better is if you've got all this talent around you that, you know, just, just bursting. Um, yeah. It forces you to get better, right? I think too many people enjoy being the smartest person in the room. and Or if they're not, they think they are. And it's that's, one, a mark of pride. Um, but, two, I think, yeah, you, you've got to be willing to surround yourself with people who are better than you and not be intimidated by them. I would argue that most musicians that we have on the team are better musicians than me. And most of the singers are better singers than me. But I would also argue that that's that's one of my strongest uh, leadership characteristics. And I think some of that was, again, learned from being in a locker room my whole life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You just, you surround, you're, you're on a team and you have to learn to value other people's gifts as opposed to see them seeing them as something to be insecure about and I, and I ha, I'll be honest I haven't always been that way but I just think it serves the church better when you can see in someone like they're really good they can serve in this moment better than I can so I'm going to give them the opportunity even if it means that I don't get any credit for it like that's that's okay because that's the way that Jesus served too he he was a very humble leader and he humbled himself even to the death on a cross so he died to himself, and I, I just think that there's so many marks within that that you have to die to the approval of man. You got to die to yourself, and all the other things that come with that. Um, and you have to not only die to yourself, but you got to desire that other people will win. And um, sometimes that means that you may not get the credit for the win, but but the whole team wins when they win. Yeah, I I, uh, I think back, and and you know what. Talking about you know talent, people bleeding with talent. I remember when I was a teen, I attended a church. I was very involved in that church, and there was a guy that played the keys. Um, he played a mean piano. He played a mean Hammond organ. This guy was brilliant musically. He had his own recording studio at home. He could have, if he wanted to, um, be in a band full time and make a ton of money doing it. Um, he wasn't. He was actually in the oil business and made some good money doing that. Uh, but he was just, just, just so talented musically, uh, far more talented than even perhaps the the music pastor or the worship pastor that was being paid on staff. Um, and yet, you know, at a rehearsal, uh, you know, introducing a new song he would say to the pastor or whoever is leading saying, you know, that's the great song and everything else. What if we try it this way with these chords? It's a little different, uh, but it, you know, might sound better. And, and what he did with songs, um, blew me away. In fact, he was so talented and so brilliant at what he did with music that when I attended other churches and I heard that song, 
I thought they were doing it wrong. Uh. Right? Because he was so brilliant in the chord structure and everything else that honestly yeah. I, I would be attending another church just visiting or whatever and think, you guys are doing the song wrong like do you guys not know the song <laughs> you know yeah and and to have a guy like that or multiple people like that is just phenomenal like that that is that is what you want is these people that are just brilliant and full of talented uh to be surrounded with um, they make you look good and they're not looking for any credit. They just want it to sound good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that sets your culture too. I mean, there's a talent obviously that's like undeniable here that I can't take any credit for. Um, but people see that. And so that kind of sets some, some of the culture. The thing that, that I, I try to protect the most though, and this was, I was just thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready. One of the greatest challenges that my pastor ever gave me was a year in, he said, your responsibility here is to protect the integrity of our stage. And I knew exactly what he meant by that. It meant from content to people, you're to protect the integrity of our stage. And so I can say without uh, any doubt that there's the people that are up there with me each week they love Jesus even more than they love music. Now, music is a way that they show it, but Jesus is the heart of the thing that they do. And a, a reason that I believe this so much, uh, the the fact that like our my job is to be uh, the protector of integrity. I'll give you a story. So there's this guy who came to our church and uh, he was brand new. I had just sat down with my wife um, and he was like on the other side of her or he he was beside her but i sat in the, in the seat between them is a new guy i didn't know who he was he was there with his wife and he leaned over whenever our our keys guy got up there to play pad at the end and he leaned over and he said that's a really nice sounding pad indicating that he knew what he was talking about again i'd never met the guy before in my life well we led the last song and he came up to me and uh he started talking about the service and how he enjoyed everything that was going on and he was encouraged and then he he shared with me that his wife had cancer and it was stage four and he'd been rattled and so the the service was like speaking directly into the season that he was in he then asked me if he could go talk to our keys player about his rig setup and in that moment i realized lincoln was the most important person at our church to this guy and the reason for that is because he had the opportunity to receive, like he had some authority over this guy who could potentially open up to him and that could lead to a ministry moment. That's why it's so important for our integrity to be intact on stage mm-hmm. within everybody because the most, the most important worship leader that week to that guy was Lincoln who plays keys. Right. And it could have been the drummer and it could have been one of the guitarists or it could have been one of the backup singers. It could have been, it, and I just I think that everybody on stage is a worship leader, and I think that all of them have to have a relationship with Jesus if they're going to be on our stage because you never know what kind of opportunity you're going to have to minister to somebody just because you play an instrument that they're connecting to. And in fairness, let's not just include the stage; let's include the uh, the sound guy too. Sound guys, absolutely. I mean, I love what John Hogan's doing with our tech team. I mean, he's he's raising up a group of volunteers that are serving the church well and the giftings that they know how to serve. And I tell them very often, we might be leading our people, 
but y'all are leading us. And so y'all are leading our people. Y'all have the most important job in the room. So yeah, I mean, they, what they do is, um, it's often overlooked, but it, they would be missed if they weren't there. <laughs> oh, can I tell you, I've done sound in, in my church for years and years. And if, if I am not included in the worship team, then, then there's something wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, I have led worship. Um, I have been a backup singer. And I've, in fact, I've even done sound while being a backup singer. I'd be back in the booth and, you know, we had weak singers um, or maybe they couldn't sing harmony. And so I was asked to sing backup from the booth while, while I'm doing sound. That's amazing. And, and you do what you have to do. But I always felt that, and I've always felt this way, that the sound guy is just as much a part of the worship team as the guitarists, the worship leader themselves, the drummer, any of the backup singers, uh, they have to be because, and, and oh. quite frankly, they if they should have some musical talent as well. But that's that's talking about the you know your abilities and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, they are the ones that are going to make or break uh, the worship time. Absolutely, you know so. Yep, yep. I 100% agree with that. A little off topic, but uh, just thought I'd throw that in there. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> uh, before we go, uh, your favorite guitar? My favorite guitar right now. Uh, I have, I snuck up on this crazy deal on a 1988 Martin D28. Uh, nice. And it is a it's a weird combo. D28s usually have rosewood back and sides, but this one has a mahogany back and sides. It was like one of 81 that they made. It sounds really expensive, it's really not, but it's it's my favorite right now. It's, it just sings. So I love it. I'm not much of a guitar player. I have a guitar, but I don't play. My brother is brilliant on the guitar and uh it's funny we'll have a a get together at his place or a family reunion or whatever and uh He'll be there on the couch, just strumming on the guitar, just strumming, picking away at it the whole time, and yeah. not even and not even thinking of it, you know. Yeah, well, I love it. I mean, there's something soothing about playing guitar. It's uh, this particular guitar is really inspiring too. I mean, just the way that it sounds, knowing that it's older than I am, and uh, I don't know, I like it. I like it. I like guitar. I think it's awesome. There's so many people who aren't on our team play it way better than I do and I like just handing that guitar to them and letting them play it. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I I think music is fun and it's it, it can be kind of a safe haven uh at times which is fun. It's unique. Which is nice, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brett. Uh enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brett. Take care, eh? All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Brett Perkins on Between the Grooves. Make sure you check out his website, brettperkinsministries.com. And you can also check out Journey Worship there on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Before we go, let's check in with Fraser Campbell. He's a Juno-nominated artist. He's a singer, songwriter, also a producer from the West Coast of British Columbia. Here's some artist advice. I think find your sound and stick close to that. Uh, but don't be afraid of, of some some coaching and some encouragement because um, really do we have a sound that's un, um, unchanged before it 
reaches audiences on a big level. I think we need to be adaptable, but also we do have our own sound and that's important not to lose. And for older artists, for more established artists, I would say uh, trying to reinvent your sound uh, would be really important because it's really easy to stick with what we know and what we like and what's worked in the past. And, and that's not going to cut it, I, I feel, in a world where things and sounds are changing so fast. Yeah, I like that. Two different ways of looking at it, two different perspectives. As a new artist, finding your sound, but as an older, established artist, reinventing yourself. Thank you, Fraser. Well, that is it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast for new episodes all the time. And you can leave us a rating and a review. That just helps us reach more people as well. Don't forget to follow us and comment on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Between Grooves. We will catch you next time.